excited for uh, continuing to jump into this series and studying through the life of Elisha, but as well looking at how that really gives us some foreshadowing towards Jesus. And glad that you guys could be with us and see the beautiful decorations we worked so hard putting up this morning. Just kidding. This is the school. They did a good job and uh, makes it makes it easy on us. Well, if you weren't here last week, John 14, 12, we kind of looked at it a little bit. I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I've been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. The reality is you may already know uh, how to dream big, right? But that's a huge dream, thinking, okay, 2014's around the corner, need to make my, my list, my resolutions, my goals, and for 2014, I'm just going to write, write, number one, be greater than Jesus. Okay, next, what else should I work on, <laughs> right? That's a tough thing to do. Um, but we're looking at just the reality of this challenge that's in Scripture for us that Jesus really said, is, is ours to do. And, uh, and then we looked last week at the passage of Elisha and how really Elisha's life foreshadows all of this, this greater life that God has for us, the greater things He has for us to do. And perhaps um, you're familiar with the story of the burning of the plows, but we looked at that and how Elisha, when he was given the mantle of anointing from Elijah… He received it. He, he basically received later in, in, in serving Elijah a double portion of his anointing. He was the greatest prophet Israel knew to that point. He receives this double anointing, and uh, instead of just following him and leaving something for him to come back to, he goes back, sacrifices his livelihood, which was his ox his oxen, and uh, he sacrifices them on the yokes he used to plow with them, so there was no temptation to turn back. And uh, I love that story. We looked at it. And that's huge. That's like a big commitment, right? I think what we miss out on and what we're going to look at today is not only how to dream big and believe for greater, but how to start smaller. And that's where we get caught up. The story of Elisha commanding the king of Israel to dig ditches is what we're going to look at today in the desert of Edom. It illustrates the importance of our preparation for God's blessing in our lives and how sometimes we have to, we have to start smaller before we can dream bigger. I, I want to set the scene first before I jump into 2 Kings 3, 11 through 20, and uh, some of the passages there are in your handout. Uh, the, the time that Elisha is alive here is one of those, like if you've seen any of the series, like Vikings, you know, just imagine dark, dirty, candlelit homes, uh, grimy, but this is desert, right? So dusty, just, just everything's full of sand all the time. And, uh, and so you kind of, that, that's, that's kind of the landscape, but think of the culture of like cities, and the, the only way you rule over a city is, is you keep it under thumb, like under control with your forces, your army, and you always have to be strong, and you build walls, and you, you know, so that's the kind of world they're living in. You subdue rebellion. If somebody's going to rebel, you just, you kill them, all of them, and you ruin their land. It's kind of, it's interesting because we're going to read about this here. And uh, so it was kind of a brutal time to be alive, kind of a little bit dark time of rule. And what happens in 2 Kings 3 is 
Ahab was, was the king of Israel, and he dies, and, and his, his son takes over. He only ends up ruling for 12 years. His name's Joram or Joram or however you enunciate it. And he's, um, he's less evil than his mom and dad is kind of how he's referred to in 2 Kings 3. It's like they had their, their evil, their idolatry, their idols, you know, and it's like, but Joram was not as bad as them. He tore down one of their idols. So it's like he was a little less evil or something. That's just interesting to be known as that. Oh, yeah, I know that guy. He's not as bad as his mama's dad. <laughs> you know, so it's, it's like, not that he's good, he's just not as bad. Interesting to be known that way. Well, in this city called Moab, there's some people who rule over the city, and they had been nice to the Israelites, right? And uh, so the ruler of the, uh, the Moabites was Mesha. And, and he decides, when he hears Ahab is dead, and he kind of sees that his son is not that strong of a leader or whatever, he decides to rise up in rebellion against Israel and start to, to take back some territory or gain some territory. So Joram decides to invade Moab and uh, recruit some help from uh, the, the king of Judah. His name is Jehoshaphat. And so they join forces and they uh, as well recruit the king of Edom because they're going to go through the desert of Edom. And so uh, they decide that they're going to hike for seven days through the desert, and they get there in the desert, and they realize there's a very important ingredient that they don't have before they enter Moab in this battle, and that was they went into the desert for seven days and didn't bring enough water. They're going to die before they get to the battle. So that's where we pick up the story uh, in Second Kings 3.11 is they've just realized uh-oh, what do we do? And that's when Jehoshaphat asked, is there no prophet of the Lord here, verse 11, that we may inquire of the Lord through him? An officer of the king of Israel answered. So we don't have the dude's name. Just an officer of the king answered. Elisha, son of Shaphat, is here. He used to pour water on the hands of Elijah. It's not that impressive of a resume, right? Uh, well, there is a guy who used to serve Elijah here. Maybe he'll work, right? So he, he hasn't done any huge miracles. It's like, well, there's that guy who, like, you know, cast out demons, or there's this guy who raised the dead, or there's this guy who, not yet, just the guy who used to wash someone's hands. So the officer refers to it. Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat says, the word of the Lord is with him. Okay? So the king of Israel, Jehoshaphat, and the king of Edom went down to him. Elisha said to the king of Israel. So realize, set the scene again. They go down to him. What does that look like? We're, we're not, we really don't have this picture, but I would imagine it does look like one of those old school scenes of homemade like wood that's cut down and kind of, you know, tarred together in the middle of the desert to give a little shade and it's dark. It's going to be candlelit even in the day. They go in and it's creaky and it's, there's clay around. It's just dirty and, and they're all like armored up and it's, you know, there's kind of, I see this scene in my head that's kind of really rough and gruff and dark. And Elisha says to the king of Israel, what do we have to do with each other? 
Go to the prophets of your father and prophets of your mother. What is he saying there? In other words, he's saying, go consult the idols you worship. Why are you coming to someone who consults God? So that's pretty brutal. You know what I say by dark? I can imagine he's got like his cup of wine there, and he's like, what do we have to do with each other? You know, it's just kind of this really dark moment. It's like, whoa, this is like in the Bible, right? No, the king of Israel answered, because it was the Lord who called us three kings together to hand us over to Moab. So here's the king of Israel blaming God for where they're at, but he never consulted God. We don't read that he asked God if they should go to battle. He didn't make a sacrifice to God. He didn't build an altar to God. He's just blaming him. I think we live in a culture that's good at that too, right? Things are going good. Man, I just want to thank God. You know, on film and whatever, you hear the football player scores a last-second touchdown. First, I just want to praise God, you know, <laughs> and then they lose. They're like, man, God didn't let us win, you know, they're just mad at God. Did they pray before the game? I don't know. Anyway, here we go. So Joram blames God, and Elisha said, as surely as the Lord Almighty lives whom I serve, do you hear kind of the cutting, the cutting language here? Sure, sir, as the Lord Almighty lives whom I serve. If I did not have respect for the presence of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, I would not look at you or even notice you. Ouch, right? But now bring me a harpist. Okay, let's, let's work with this. While the harpist was playing, the hand of the Lord came upon Elisha, and he said, this is what the Lord says. Make this valley full of ditches. For this is what the Lord says. You will see neither wind nor rain, yet this valley will be filled with water. And you, your cattle, and your other animals will drink. This is an easy thing in the eyes of the Lord. He will also hand Moab over to you. You'll overthrow every fortified city and every major town. You'll cut down every good tree, stop up all the springs, and ruin every good field with stones. The next morning, about the time for offering the sacrifice, there it was, water flowing from the direction of Edom, and the land was filled with water. So water was flowing from the desert. The land was filled with water. Interesting, it doesn't say the ditches were filled with water. It just says the land was filled with water. They do what was instructed from the Lord, not what the guy's idols thought they should do, right? And the Moabites eventually, if you read through the rest of Second Kings 3, the Moabites are delivered into their hands. They're well hydrated hands because they had plenty to drink. Make this valley full of ditches. Man, just an interesting tension here that kind of has the scene of, you know, I don't know. I, I picture a cartoon form. It's kind of like the witch's den and brave, you know. <laughs> I see the Lord. You know, it's kind of weird. It's dark. It's like, Elijah, wow. 
this is a dark scene, or, you know, you kind of maybe, it's, it's like a fortune teller almost, right? They're going to him. They don't have a relationship with God. They're just going to him for, like, the future. Let me look into my ball here. Mmm, ditches. You know, they're like, oh, yeah, go on. Moabites, every city, wow, you win. Yes. You know, there's, that's kind of what's happening, and we'll talk more about that in a second. But let's jump forward to Jesus. So here's Jesus on the scene as a baby in a manger. God initiates relationship with humanity and the solution to sin and all these battles and all this fighting that we're reading about in the Old Testament. He comes and, re- and he's like, grace is coming, love is coming, solution is coming through Jesus. Grows up sinless, fulfills prophecy after prophecy. Why? Because he's making ways. He's basically digging ditches and teaching humanity how to dig ditches and be ready for all that God is going to pour out. A new way, a gracious way. He's going to go to the cross. He's going he's to make a way. He's going to manage through the darkness of life. A very small beginning in a manger becomes a very great life that ultimately allows God to pour out through one life, life for all. Foreshadowing is what we're experiencing in the life of Elisha. Matthew 5, 6 says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. John 4, 14 says, whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. We we could read these dark stories in the Old Testament and just miss all this symbolism that just points to the the grace and life of Jesus and, and, and what is to come and the promise that we get to celebrate during Christmas of Jesus coming had to be foreshadowed through so many dark but yet powerful stories in the Old Testament. It's obvious from our glimpse at this moment in Israel's history that God desires more of you than just inquiring, because that's what Joram wanted to do, or that's what Jehoshaphat said. Let's, let's find a prophet to inquire of the Lord. I, I hope that that's not what our faith is known for. When we're on our deathbed, I hope they don't say, yeah, every once in a while, I think he went to church, and, and I think he inquired of God. Or do we have a relationship that's flowing with this living water from God? story in 2 Kings gives us some great lessons that I think we can grab a hold of that will teach us how to live a greater life, if you will. And, and the first one, and there's some fill-in-the-blanks you could probably guess. It's kind of the way we do fill-in-the-blanks here. But the first one says, uh, a great need can be a good thing if it leads you to a deeper dependency on God. Isn't that what they encountered here, right? Their need was, we die tomorrow if we don't have water. We can't even get to the battle. The battle of dryness in the desert is the victor. And, uh, and so a great need can be a good thing if it leads you to deeper dependency on God. Joram should have inquired of the Lord before he ever chose to go to battle to find out whether the Lord would give him victory or favor or not. Well, we can know this just from reading different books in the Old Testament. It's wise to inquire of the Lord before you go to battle. But he didn't. 
And so now he's in the midst of the battle, and he's needing a, a miracle ultimately. As we can see in the story, an unnamed officer somehow knew Elisha's story. The hero, ultimately, in this story, because if he didn't connect the dots, these guys would have never heard the word of the Lord, and would they known to dig ditches? Not, who would have thought of that in the middle of a desert with no clouds in the sky? Again, Joram was used to consulting with idols, and those who followed his ways did the same. He was the leader of, of their cultic faith, if you would. And now they're knocking on death's door and they have to humble themselves and find themselves listening to the word of the Lord. Had to have bothered them. I mean, imagine it. Imagine your days prior to, to Christ and, and to get the solution and find out direction for your life. If somebody would have said, the only way you're going to find out is, man, you got to find one of those guys who's a Jesus follower. Well, <laughs> no way. I'm not a church person, right? I mean, we've all met or been those people. Looking at this dark scene, I don't know why I think it's so dark. I just, it was kind of one of the revelations that I was just like, God, show me like what this really had to have been, been like. We're looking at this dark scene, and, and, and it had to have not felt necessarily Hey, guys, welcome. I knew you were coming. You know, I thought Elisha was like in that. That's not his tone. I mean, he's like blow after blow to the king of Israel saying, you should be following the Lord and you're following idols. And my God can do this easy. You know, he's kind of really giving him these digs. And, and I doubt it was like a happy, like, joyful elves in the North Pole world thinking it was a little more grim than that. Prophets in this day were called seers. That's why I kind of picture like the, <laughs> you know, I don't know why. I doubt they were really like that. If they were, that's going to be a cool scene. To, if you could push replay when we get to heaven, go back to that scene again where like Elisha's the seer, right? And I want to hear this when he sees the ditches. And, and, uh, and you kind of look back. They were, the prophets were called seers, and people did treat them like fortune tellers, right? Because they were the ones that could see the future from the Lord's perspective and not just from history's perspective. And if you've studied anything about the demonic and you, you've studied like the supernatural and how people consult with the dead and, and these different moments that people do, you find that what they're, what they're getting is they're getting history and not future because the devil can't read the future. The demons don't know the future besides what's written in the Word, but they can make somebody believe that they know what's going on just based off of actual history. But these seers could literally see the future. So Elisha literally could see ditches. He could see victory in battle in Moab and all the other cities. He could see what God was going to do. And at the end of the story, he could see that things don't go good for Israel because they ruin their land, their streams, they cut off the flow. So there's good and bad news in his news to the kings. What happens when you find yourself stuck in the pursuit of a greater life? Do you go to the Lord or do you get mad at the Lord? 
because that's, that's where they're at here. Here comes a time. There's always going to be times in our lives where everything we thought we could do to make it work doesn't make it work. And I think the problem often lies in the fact that we're good at dreaming big, but it's a challenge to start small. God doesn't want me to use Him to meet my needs. He wants to use my needs to bring me into relationship with Him. And I think oftentimes we kind of go to Him in moment of need, but really He just wants us to go to Him all the time in relationship. When the king of Israel came to Elisha, his need was water. He needed immediate solution. And Elisha pointed him towards God and bragged about the ease of his God to solve this in hopes that it would be a sign to Joram to follow God. So number two, God is not your shortcut. God is your only solution. I don't know what you're facing, but let's not treat God as a shortcut. Let's treat Him as our solution. He is the solution. If you're using God just to get the greater things He can bring, that's not, that's not faith. That's idolatry. God wants us to have faith in Him and trust Him in the good and bad. Great needs are often what drive us to God and and there are certain things that we must do to play our part in the scenario, in the seeing miracles come to pass. I think of inspiration versus implementation. I think implementation is key. Many of us try to use God uh, for sheer motivation or inspiration, right? We come, we get excited, we're like, okay, yeah, okay, I'm ready for this week. And then we leave, and then we're fighting the car on the way home, and the kids aren't behaving, and then somebody's grounded, and then we got the Christmas decorations. Still got to finish the lights on the yard. You know, it's like all these things. You got, you got all that started Christmas shopping. Got to get back out there. Oh, what I wanted is not in stock. I got to go online and find Cyber Monday, right? And it's just like uh, the stress of life gets in, and it's like, what happened to all that motivation and inspiration? Well, what if we just implement the challenges before us in the Word? What if we start to be doers? You can be inspired every Sunday, but it will not result in more people around us coming into a growing relationship with Jesus unless we begin to share Jesus, share about church. Elisha does not hold back his dislike for Joram because he was looking for a shortcut. He knew he had other options before him that he always goes to, these idols. And, and so he doesn't hold back his dislike. And he has respect for Jehoshaphat because he's the one who's, who, who said, let's go to him, that he is a prophet. But pretty bold words came out of Elisha's mouth towards the king of Israel. And because uh, he, he, he didn't have a secret door to the future, per se, for him. He had a door that could show him what it looked like to have discipline and faith and, and effort and work and wanted him to even have faith. Which brings up point three, miracles are not the divine result of, or miracles are the divine result of small steps of faith-filled preparation. Miracles are the divine results of small steps of faith-filled preparation. You do have to dream big. But the active ingredient in God's greater work in us is our willingness to start small. 
This is not easy for us who live in a supersized me, go big or go home world, right? To start small, to just do something small. We were talking during setup today um, about some of the realities of, of yesterday's football, and there were some great comebacks. And if you're into college football, you probably saw it or watching sports at night, but there, there was an amazing moment with zeros on the clock at the end of the number one team in college football against number four, and the number one team tried to go big or go home and kick a 56-yard field goal that fell short into someone's hands that returned it for a touchdown and victory. The number four team beats number one. It was this huge moment, just an incredible finish. But you're looking at this, you're looking at Auburn beating this team. What a catch, right? Did I get that right or did I go backwards? Anyway, 50, you know, 56-yard field goal catches it, touchdown. They win by six points. Go big or go home. They went home. Losers. Season over. No, I'm just kidding. You lose one game in college football and it's over oftentimes. Big moments in sports, we see this. Go big or go home mindset. But can we start small? For open life, it's interesting. I was thinking about, man, how have we played this out? I look at our strategic generosity philosophy when we started. We, uh, we just chose from the beginning to invest 10% back into like missions and local missions, foreign missions. And uh, so we, we would set aside 10% of anything undesignated that comes in. And, and so we knew that, but it's like, well, where, where do you put that? So we wanted to, to, you know, fund things that were working in the community, not that we had to create them, but we wanted to fund people who were doing the mission great. So, you know, food bank, and we just put our feeler out there to figure out who has need, and obviously one of the things that's most important to people in, in the community is education. So we're, we asked the Sumner School District, like, what projects they had and all that, and they point us to Liberty Ridge Elementary School, and we've told that story quite a few times, but... Let me go back to how it really, really, really began, this partnership, because we walked into their office and said, we want to just partner with you, Liberty Ridge Elementary School, and like, just, we just want to be, we want to adopt you, if you will, if you have any needs, and we want to start off with this feeding thing, and this is how Big Give started up here through Open Life, as we wanted to feed the families that had a need in their school. And so while we're preparing for that, and trying to prove that we'll follow through, I remember when the principal called and said, hey, you said just come to you when we have a need, and we have an interesting one. A young man who's, um, you know, is homeless, doesn't have uh, any interest in anything usually, expressed interest in playing basketball this year. But, you know, the tuition fee for that is $35, and then he's going to need all the other stuff. So would that be something you guys would be interested in covering? I was like... Yes. And I remember coming to church that Sunday, and, and it was our big give offering, which we needed. I'll share in a second. And, uh, uh, you know, cause to supply all the food for the school. And then we, uh, as well, we're, I was going to express this need that came in just on an email that I already said yes to. Just small. $35 is pretty small, right? Well, it was cool at the end of the service when somebody walked up. Now, before, let, me, let me just put the right scenario. When I approached Sunday, I knew at the end of that week 
we had a board meeting and, and we found out that we just had cents in the bank, like cents, right? And, uh, and we didn't have even $35. And so I was like, oh, we need, we need this big give offering that we committed to or it's going to be coming out of our savings account. And so we were like, let's, let's, let's do good Sunday, right? And I remember after the service, after sharing, the th- I was like, you never cut generosity, so we're just going to charge after this. And I remember after the service, somebody approaching me, and they said, you know, we were going to give this to the big give, but we really think we're supposed to give this to that young boy, his family, or whoever's overseeing him, so that he can not just play basketball, but he can bring snacks on his week to bring snacks, and, and he can have shoes, and, and he can get the, the, the shirt, and the, you know, just all that. And, you're go, and, and they were crying, and and I was just going, man, this is cool. And I remember going to the school before we did the big give. That was our first, that was our first ditch. That was our first small thing. Is just partnering with the PTA to provide that basketball scholarship. To us, it was huge. I was kind of going, oh, we really need that for big give, though. <laughs> but I didn't say that. Inside, I thought it. I'll be truthful. Um, but I was like, how beautiful did that story play out? We just started small, $35, which God then blessed. And a week later, we were able to, to have come in $3,500 to feed all those families. It was unreal. But we started small. What seems like something small has become over the years greater than any of us imagined as not only did we provide food for people on the plateau here, but it's now overflowed down into Sumner and just more food. They had enough food down there that they think they've got Christmas covered too. So it's pretty cool to to see. Miracles are not magic tricks. They're faith put into action. They're a work order. Transformation happens through participation in the purpose of God. The kings came to Elisha looking for a miracle, but Elisha gave them instructions. So they could have been inspired, leaving Elisha going, we're inspired, we're going to win. But when they left the service, there was work to be done. And it's the same for us today. We can keep coming to church and hearing the word of the Lord, but unless we go out from here and make a shovel... And it's not like they went to battle with shovels. I mean, they had to grab a shield, cut the hooves off that cow, make a ditch. How did they do that? I was thinking about it going, oh, my word. Like, it's not like they just went out with their farm equipment, right? They weren't charging the Moabites with pitchforks and shovels, I don't think. If they were, that, that made it easier to dig the ditch. But... Are we ready when God calls? Are we ready to do the work? Are we ready to dig? Are you willing to play your part in the greater, God, greater calling God has for your life? Because it's going to take work on our part. You might end up having to stick your neck out there in faith now and then. And then that leads us to the final step. Dig a ditch. Faith is making, making preparation for something that you can't perceive. I mean, I'm looking at uh, 
the scenario of these guys in battle. They're going out there. Their, tongue, their mouths are dry. They need water. They're exhausted. They, they are staring death in the face, and they're told, okay, tonight, guys, you're going to dig ditches until the water comes. We're gonna, we're, we were mustering any energy we had for battle, and you want us to dig a ditch? Imagine that. Did your idols tell you? No, the Lord told us. What? Can you imagine how confused they were? Even the loyalists had to have been like, dig what in the desert? Do you see rain? No rain's coming. I haven't heard thunder. So with their tongues stuck to their teeth because they're so dry, they went out there and they had to work their tails off. It's just unimaginable to me. They didn't have shovels. They, didn't, they weren't well equipped. So they dig all night long and sure thing, the water comes. I love how Elisha put it. This is an easy thing in the eyes of the Lord. Sometimes we see the ditches as such tough preparation. But God's just like, I have something that's very easy for me to do if you'll just dig a ditch. Now, this is an easy thing in the eyes of the Lord. He will also hand Moab over to you. I think Elisha might have said it like this. This is an easy thing in the eyes of the Lord. He will also hand Moab over to you. I think he wanted Joram to know that. This isn't going to be you. This is not going to be your well-drank army and animals and all the help you can muster. This isn't going to be because you drank water that you win. No, it's going to be because God lets you win if you win. No matter how much faith it takes on our part, it will be an easy thing in the eyes of the Lord. So, Elisha blows up basically the king's idols by giving God all the credit. And I look at some of the things we need to do too. Like, what do we trust more than God? How often do we go out without consulting the Lord? And we take on something huge, a new house, a new job, a, a, a new friendship, a relationship. And we really should make things a prayer, right? We should, we should pray more. What ditches is God calling you to dig? If you, if you dig the ditch, God will bring the flood. But what ditch is God calling you to dig? The ditch doesn't look glorifying, but it's through the blisters and that journey that the reward comes, right? If you're the ones working, if you're the ones with your hand at a makeshift shovel, you're the one that's going to think of how incredible it is when you see the water. So it's back to are you available? Are you willing to dig? Are you open to greater things? He's not waiting for you to be able. He's waiting for you to have faith to get started. That's where God's at. He'll do so much more than refresh you and inspire you or if you inquire. You'll never know His also, if you would, until you dig a ditch. You know, because He says this is an easy thing in the eyes of the Lord. He will also. So what are you asking for from the Lord that you've yet to put your hand to the ditch for? Because there's an also on the other side of it as well. He does immeasurably greater things beyond what we can ask or imagine. This is the God we serve. And He's calling us all to be diggers. 
These greater things are in the ditch. There's ditches dug, and we've got ditches to dig. So let me challenge you with a couple ditches today before we close. And these, you know, on the back of your connection card, there's some responses you can do, but maybe these are additional responses you want to jot on your notes. I want to challenge you to dig the ditch of the invitation. Again, on your, in your worship guide, you have invites to, to open life, and those are not just for you. Those are for you to use. Imagine that, the shovel, if you would, and the ditch is in the invitation. Invite someone to open life. Share the great impact you've seen in acts of generosity, which were written about in the newspaper this week. You've got tools that are out there in people's eyes if they've been reading and watching and seeing, and and, and a great season here in Christmas to invite them. December 22nd, we'll celebrate Jesus' birth beautifully. Invite them. This is a great season to just invite someone to hear about Jesus. Will you dig the ditch of generosity? I think we're very good at that and singing to the choir here, right? Or I guess preaching to the choir is the right terminology. But at the, at the connect table today, you see our little makeshift tree back there. Turned out pretty good. Anyway, the, uh, uh, we're partnering again with Liberty Ridge Elementary School to provide gifts for families that otherwise wouldn't get them. And they've got hundreds of gifts at their school needed, and we grabbed 50 of them back there. Just encourage you to grab a a tag or two. Go find a sale item out there that fits the description on the tag and bring a gift back wrapped with that tag on it next week. We want to be generous, and, and sometimes we don't understand the joy of giving until we dig the ditch of generosity. And then you can never return. You just see God do abundantly above all that you could give. He outgives the giver all the time. God just shocks me on the other side of generosity. Share with others the ditch you're digging of generosity and how it's impacting the community. And then here's a huge one. I can't emphasize this enough. Will you dig the ditch of prayer? This is the least glamorous ditch, I think, it's, and it's dirty work. It's emotional work. Here's what I would challenge you to do. I'm going to challenge you to do it differently maybe for you. This is how I do it, but I don't know how you do it. Put some music on and pray this week. That's my ch- Put some music on and pray this week. Pray for your family. Pray for the church. Pray for those who are being invited to come to open life. Pray for the city. Pray for those who come to the Christmas service on December 22nd. Pray for guests. Pray for those you're inviting, but with music. Interesting when you look at it, the reality here that uh, Elisha asks before he ever does anything before the hand of the Lord comes on him. He asks for a harpist. Is that kind of funny? It's like, okay, I know you worship idols. I'm an inquirer of the Lord. But first, 
bring a harpist. <laughs> it's like, you know, provide some mood here. We need the right atmosphere. I mean, there's people dying in the desert of thirst, and he wants the right music. But yet, that provided the environment necessary for the hand of the Lord to come and the word of the Lord to go through him. Pretty unbelievable. It's pretty unbelievable. So I challenge you, do the same. Throw on some Christmas music. Throw on some worship music. But find yourself in a time of prayer and watch what God does on the other side of that ditch. When you, under, when you see somebody bring a guest next Sunday or the following Sunday and you realize, you know what? I was a part of that. When the water came right there in that person's life, when faith came, as it did last week in somebody's life who was a guest, if you've been praying for guests, last week somebody made a decision to follow Jesus at Open Life. It's huge. And we pray for that person every week. That's a ditch that was filled because of prayers. And when you're one of the people praying for that person, whew, Man, church becomes a whole different mission for you, doesn't it? Life becomes a whole different mission. God, I thank you for the opportunity we have to reflect not just on Jesus coming, but on these foreshadow moments in the Old Testament that encourage us, these crazy challenges like dig a ditch. Pretty simple. Dig the ditch of prayer. Dig the ditch of generosity. Dig the ditch of the invite. There's so many ditches that we have to dig. Some of us, our, our needs look totally different that we need to dig a ditch for. But I just pray, Lord, for those needs of the church. Those three needs, open life needs those three needs in, in action. Those are ditches the people of open life need to dig. But God, I pray for people's personal lives. I pray for the ditches in people's lives here that need to be dug. Make us diggers. It's not glamorous. It might result in us getting spiritual blisters, but God, I pray that you would help us do the work and then that we would rejoice and celebrate in you when we see the valley full of water. And then we bear witness to the also that will come. We know you're the God of also. We know you have something above and beyond what we ask and imagine, and we give you praise for it. We thank you for the opportunity we have to worship you today. In Jesus' name, amen.